0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Amen. Thank you, Jay. Welcome again. Uh, we are in Nehemiah. If this is your first time with us, just walking verse by verse through the different books. We did Ezra. Now we're doing Nehemiah. Uh, we'll finish it here in 10 weeks or so. But uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, if you want to head that way, to get you caught up what's happened thus far in Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is this wonderful servant of the Lord who has a heart and a passion and I would say a God-given vision to go rebuild his hometown. His hometown is Jerusalem. It is lying in ruin. At this point, he feels like it is a disgrace to see God's city looking like that. So he asks King Artaxerxes, uh, to whom he is a cup bearer, asked him in chapter one, can I go rebuild it? Don't know for sure how long it's going to take, but I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Can I have your permission to go? Artaxerxes says, go. Chapter 2, last week, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, sees it's as bad as he thought. He goes out under the cover of night to examine the walls of Jerusalem. They are lying in ruin. It's rubble. The gates, the 10 gates in Jerusalem have all been burnt out. He sees this. He starts to pray. He starts to plan, starts to prioritize, and finally at the end of chapter 2, he gathers a group of people together and says, hey, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to try and accomplish. I want to rebuild this. And you see them unified saying, we're in. We're with you, Nehemiah. We want to do this with you. We will help you rebuild the wall. We will put Jerusalem back the way it should be. And then you hear immediately, Those from the area of trans-Euphrates, leaders and governors from the communities around going, you can't do this. It's not gonna happen. They begin to ridicule and question, saying, does the king even know about this? You don't have permission to do this. And we see Nehemiah respond, the God in heaven, the God in heaven will cause this to succeed. Because those who God calls, he equips, and Nehemiah's been called to do this, and he knows it will be a challenge, and knows the, the job will be huge, enormous, but if God calls you to do it, you got to go. you got to do it, and you can't let the haters hate, and that's what we saw last week. And, and Before we jump into chapter three, I just want to tell you this. It is 32 verses of some of the most boring literature in the world. It is names, followed by the section of wall that that party or group of people built. So I I read the passage for the week multiple times preparing for a message. I will tell you it takes about seven minutes to read Nehemiah chapter three. I would encourage you, if you're a faster reader than me, most of you probably are, I would encourage you to do so. Today, with your permission, although I'm going to do it anyway, with with your permission, I'm not going to read all 32 verses, okay? Okay. Uh, instead, I'm going to highlight about eight of them, okay? But I don't want us to dismiss chapter three, because if you, just, if you lift up out of the words themselves and look at the whole, it paints a really, really powerful and beautiful picture, as most of Scripture does. So Nehemiah chapter three is important, it's just kind of a beat down to read it. So I want to highlight, look at it from maybe a little bit higher level, but before we do that, I want to just throw up a picture here so you understand what we're talking about here, the enormity of the job. So this is a picture of the wall that Nehemiah proposed to build, okay? The wall is two and a half miles long. They're not building just a couple hundred yards of wall. That's two and a half miles of wall that is to encompass the city of Jerusalem, it would be one thing to just build it new, but the existing wall is either lying in rubble or needs to completely be repaired. So in some sections, particularly in the east, we know, archaeologists know, that they move the wall out Turn around, got material from behind, built a new wall because it was so bad in the east. In the west, we're not really sure. Archaeologists haven't seen if he built a new wall or just repaired the old wall. But it's two and a half miles of wall. Uh, There's 10 gates that's represented there by the openings. Those are the gates. There's 10 gates that will be repaired because Nehemiah says they've all been burnt out. They're completely in ruin. Now, to put in perspective just how big this construction project is, this is not a retaining wall. This is a 40 foot tall fortification of a city. We're talking 40 feet tall and eight feet thick. I mean, I can't, this is six. Eight feet thick. Each of the gates are double like you've seen in in old movies where you build a castle. You got the outer gate, then you got the eight feet in between, then you got the inner gate. This is a massive, massive, massive building project. It will take thousands of people And Nehemiah is touted as an amazing leader as he should be. He does not have enough people living in the city of Jerusalem to accomplish the task. So he goes out and recruits volunteers from cities as far as 20 miles away. They're not paid. They're just hearing the vision, buying into the vision, and going to serve and volunteer their time and their abilities and even their resources to accomplish this monstrous task. So in Nehemiah chapter 3, we have listed the 41 different groups of people. Now, the groups are massive, hundreds if not thousands each, but they're listed by the name of the family head, and you can see them there. Some of the groups did larger sections than other groups, but there's 41 listed there, and this is what we have in Nehemiah chapter 3. So we will begin in verse 1, but once again, we're just going to highlight a few of the bigger verses. Verse one, Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work to rebuild the sheep gate. If we can get the picture back up again real quick. The sheep gate is there in the northwest corner. You see, I've highlighted it in red. Why is it important? What is the sheep gate? Well, if you read the names of the gates, many of them are named for their function. So you want to take a stab at what the sheep gate was? It was a gate for sheep. sheep gate was gate for sheep. Why? Well, notice where the temple is. See the temple there in the corner? Um, the sheep were used for sacrifices in the temple. So the sheep would be outside the city. They would come through the sheep gate and go to the temple. I'm not sure... That just because Nehemiah lists the sheep gate in verse 1, that's what was built first. But it's likely it's what was built first, or at least prioritized as important, because it was necessary to reinstitute worship. Worship needed sacrifice, the gate needed to be rebuilt, they were having trouble doing that. So whether he starts there or just prioritizes it, that's where the building program focused its initial efforts at the sheep gate. And we see that the high priest and his fellow priests were the ones responsible for that gate. If you've been with us through Ezra and Nehemiah, the priests have not gotten a very good report. They are in very small number being willing to travel back to Jerusalem. They don't seem to be super excited to get to work. But at least here, in this particular instance, the clergy picked up a hammer And while they are specialized and they are needed for worship, I think any church leader should know that every once in a while you gotta roll up your sleeves and get dirty. And if you wanna be a church leader, you better be willing to swing a hammer. And if you can't do it, you better be willing to do it. It's an important part of leading, and we start there with the priest. Skip down to verse five, okay? While there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people building this wall, and the commitment as a whole was astronomical. 99.9% commitment, which is incredible when you think that people were brought in from foreign areas. I mean, this is incredible how focused and committed they were to the task. Verse 5 identifies just a few men who were not willing to do the work. Let's read it. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Now, do not picture Pharaoh and Egypt and slaves like their supervisors with whips telling them get to going and they wouldn't work because they were rebelling. Supervisors were simply foremen. In a project like this, there's people who do the work and there's people who know how to do the work. Okay, and so I would be one of the people carrying the stone and then someone would have to tell me how to fit the stone in the wall. That's what's going on here. But the noblemen of this particular area decided they were too good to work. They were too important to carry stones. They are the only people listed in all of chapter three who were like this. Now, we should rip on them. They are remembered for eternity as being the only lazy people who thought they were too good to do the work. The only ones listed in all of chapter three. I do want to point out then how amazing, obviously, the vision of Nehemiah, the leadership of Nehemiah must have been because it only takes a few, right? to start to spread. Well, if they don't have to do it, then I don't have to do it. If they're not doing it, well, I'll write a check instead of moving stone if that's what I need to do. Once again, if we take a step out and look at chapter three as a picture of the church, how the church should function. I think that's what it is ultimately. I think it's a picture. It's very, very dangerous as an individual and as the church collectively to have anyone who thinks that they're above having to work. And I'm not just talking about building a wall. I'm saying just doing the work of the church. There are some who, because of their position, because of their affluence, because of their brilliance, because of whatever, deem the work of the church to be beneath them. No, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And if anyone doesn't get to work, it's him. But that's not how this kingdom, how this church is built And so these few men who refused should be called out and we should learn from them that these men needed to be addressed and they needed to be removed because everyone had to do their part. Verse seven, next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mishpah, Melithia of Gibeon and Jaden of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governors of Trans-Euphrates. Why is verse seven important? Those were men under the authority of governors of Trans-Euphrates. Do you remember who the haters were from the end of chapter two? the governors of Trans-Euphrates. These were the same people who were jeering just a few weeks earlier, hey, you, you can't do this. And now they've sent men to work. They've sent hundreds, if not thousands of people to work. I'm amazed by this, but I shouldn't be, right? I shouldn't be. Because God works that way. God softens hearts. God changes minds. God calls people who were once enemies to now be friends. I mean, isn't that how he works? Isn't that how he redeems and how he rescues? That's that's just who he is. I shouldn't be shocked by this, but it's impressive. It stood out to me so much reading through it. Whoa, you got guys from there? That's incredible. How did you do that? Well, it may have been Nehemiah's leadership, but more than likely it was God's provision in his hand. And I wanna tell you, church, we are not called just to reach and bring in the people that we like. We're called to reach and bring in everyone, even the haters. Need a chance to hear and be a part. That's how God works and that's how we should, and I, I just want you to remember there is no one who is ever, ever too far gone for God. There is no one who is too far out, who is too removed, who is too broken, who is too sinful. That does not exist in God's mentality, and it should not exist then in ours as the church. We have to go reach and talk and bring in and allow to serve beside us those who were once enemies. And if you don't think that that's true, um, the dude who wrote most of the New Testament was once the biggest hater of the New Testament church the guy who set out to kill and destroy it was called by God to now come and build it. You see, God loves taking those that we think are unreachable, transforming them and then putting them to work. And I know in my experience, those who were the furthest, who have experienced the grace and the love of God, the power of Jesus, they become the most ferocious of advocates for the gospel. That's been my experience. And we see it here in verse 7. Now, we're always going to have overachievers, right? If you're an overachiever, raise your hand. If you're the person that always does more than you're supposed to, raise your hand. Just call it out. One overachiever. I don't believe you. We, we are all just a group of lazy people then, except one. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 11. We, ha- we find our overachievers Melchilja, son of Haram, and Hashab, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section in the tower of ovens. Now, we have a problem with the translation here. Because in the Hebrew, it is very clear that what these men did is they finished the section that they were given by Nehemiah. You've got this section of eight foot thick, 40 foot tall wall. That's, that's what I'm giving you to do. When it says then they repaired another section, that means when they finished theirs, they asked for another to do. So the second section of wall, hey, we see that the dudes from wherever are failing a little bit. Can we hop over there and finish their section of the wall? And Nehemiah goes, great. And then they go, hey, we could like to build a tower now. Um, we would love to, be, we're, we're, we're done again, <laughs> go figure. Uh, we've just been killing it. So can we build a tower? And Nehemiah goes, yes, absolutely. Um, I am a bare minimum guy. Bare minimum. You give me a task, I will assuredly procrastinate until it is due. I will then flip out, throw some stuff together, and present my completed work, the bare minimum required, If it's a 500 word essay, you're going to get 501 and I will turn it in and come what may. As the person who is wired like me, we don't like the overachiever. We don't like them because they make us look bad. That's the reason. It's not that we don't like them. They just make us look bad. I'll be honest though. I thank God for the men and women in the church who for the glory of God are overachievers. I thank God for them, for their heart, their heart of service, their heart to see God advance, their heart to say, you know, this is what's been asked of me, I will do more. Not so that God will favor me higher, but because I know it's a big job and someone's gotta do it. If I had to pick who to link arms with in trying to do the work of God, I'm sorry, you that are like me, I'm linking arms with the overachiever. I'm linking arms with the people that are like, we did ours, we did this one, and we did a tower. What's next? Come on, I'm ready to go. I don't necessarily like them, but I respect the heck out of them. And the church needs them. And so I just... I want you to know, overachievers, it's a gift, unless it becomes OCD psychotic, but that's a gift (laughs) that I hope you're channeling towards the things of God. Verse 12, Shalem, that's the son of Halohesh, he was a ruler of half a district of Jerusalem, powerful person. He repaired the next section of wall with the help of his daughters. (gasps) Oh. 450 years before Jesus was born, you didn't put your daughters to work on the wall. You didn't do that if you were a respected male in society because in 450 years before Jesus, I'm just telling you, women were supposed to be in the kitchen making bread for the men so they could build the wall. I'm not saying that is true today. I'm just saying 450 years before Jesus, that's exactly where the women were supposed to be. And Shalom, some people say he didn't have a son. So he called his daughters out. He doesn't say he didn't have sons. His sons may very well have been working on the wall. But as a leader, he goes, we need all hands on deck. And instead of baking bread, I need my girls out here building the wall. And it doesn't say this either, but I just have a hypothesis. I bet they worked a bunch of dudes on that wall under the table. Now, and this, now, now men, let me get on you. walk into 90% of the churches in America and see who's doing the work it's the gals now that is not okay this everybody regardless of gender has to play everybody has to serve but women to your credit i find it to be accurate that more often than not, when the job isn't getting done, it's a woman who'll be first to step up and volunteer to get it done. Now, that's just praise to you, women. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And it's a reminder, men, that everyone in the eyes of God is equal. And everyone needs to do their part I'm not gonna read verse 14, but if you if you have a Bible, look at verse 14. Verse 14 references the dung gate. I'm an eighth-grade boy, so when I read that, I giggle. Okay? I, I cannot read that without giggling. Like, why would you name it the poop gate? Like who of all the things you could have named it, why the poop gate? Well, it's because of its function. You didn't poop in this gate, that was the gate that led to the trash pile. Okay, that's where you took your trash. That's where you removed the refuse from the city, thus the dung gate. Makes sense. Verse 16, also another fun fact, nothing really sermonic, but in verse 16, beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half district of Bethzer, made repairs up to the point opposite of the tombs of David. Now, verse 16's Nehemiah is not our Nehemiah, is not the author Nehemiah. In fact, I think it's very unique and cool that our Nehemiah isn't even mentioned in chapter 3. He's orchestrating all of this, but he is not given any credit in chapter 3 for any one section of the wall. I know verse 16 is not our Nehemiah because we know who our Nehemiah's father is from chapter 1, verse 1. In the words of Nehemiah, our Nehemiah, who's the son of Hakaliah, Not the same Nehemiah, just a fun fact. Skipping down to verse 20. Next to him, Barak, son of Zabiah, zealously repaired another section. Nehemiah doesn't quantify how people work. He just talks about what they did. Yet this man, Barak, he is a priest, we know from chapter 10. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 10, he's listed as a priest. So another shout out to the priest. they've kind of got their stuff going on he repaired his section of the wall zealously now that word can also be translated earnestly or carefully so I want you to just take this away the way he worked made others take notice if you've never thought that your work is worship you better think again The way that the children of God are called to work. And when I say work, I mean work. When you go to work, when you raise your children, when you work, when you labor, you labor for the glory of God. And you should labor in such a way as to make others take notice. Not so that you might receive the glory, but so that he might receive the glory. Now, I've already told you how I work. Bare minimum, last minute, get it done. So this is something I need to hear. It's one thing to be lazy. It's another thing completely to be lazy in such a manner that it makes others, outsiders, look at me and go, man, that's that's disgraceful. That's disgraceful to the Lord. You've, I've been given a body and strength and a mind and I should use it for his glory even in the way that I work. And we have... Barack here doing just that. The last verse, verse 32, is full circle here. That's why I've put it on. And between the rooms above the corner of the sheep gate, remember, the goldsmiths and the merchants made their repairs. So goldsmiths are artisans. Makes sense that they'd be there. There's other merchants who finished that last section of wall that concluded where at the sheep gate. Sheep gate, verse one. Sheep gate, verse 32. Two and a half miles of wall, 40 foot tall, eight foot thick, have been completed by these 41 groups of men and women who were made up of a bunch of different types of of people. Now, you would have to go through and read all 32 verses to pull this out. I will spare you doing that, although I encourage you to do this. Here is just a sampling of the groups of people that were mentioned on this project in chapter three. There were the priests, as we've already highlighted. There were the men of Jericho. Why are they important? Well, because they came from 17 miles away. That's as the crow flies, not on the roads of the ancient Near East. 17 miles away from the city of Jericho to work on this project. There were the goldsmiths, our artisans. There were the city officials who worked They didn't delegate. They didn't sit there and say, we're funding this. They said, we will swing a hammer as well. There were women, as we mentioned. Now, this is an interesting group. I don't know the relevance, but there were single men who were mentioned. It wasn't just family men. It was single men who got out and did the work. There were temple servants who were highly praised in the book of Ezra for their willingness to go and their willingness to serve. They came out of the temple, which is where they felt comfortable. They picked up a hammer and they began to build. There were temple servants. There were city guards, the local police officers. They stopped working to build. And then there were many types of merchants, people who sold bread, people who made cloth, people who did different things. They came in to the scene and they worked. Now, if there was a merchant who you probably would not expect to leave the shop And go start building the wall. That merchant is found in Nehemiah chapter three, verse eight. If you still have your Bibles open. Hananiah, who was one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. Now, I don't know what skills it takes to make perfume, but they do not go well with construction. All right? I, I don't know what it takes to do that. But he stopped selling his perfume, picked up a hammer, and he was the best smelling guy on the line. So... Everybody had to work. No one was exempt. 41 different types of people. Now, there are two things you could pull away from Nehemiah chapter 3. If you jump up to 10,000 feet, look down at it, the powerful message that this listing of people tells us and shows us. The first one thing you could pull away is how amazing Nehemiah is. His leadership, his delegation, his management, his oversight, his ability to cast vision, his ability to recruit workers from miles and miles away from many different spheres of life. Every race, ethnicity brought in for one purpose and one task that was almost 100% bought into by the people working. The task was accomplished. You could absolutely celebrate how much of a rock star Nehemiah is. And many have, but that's not what I wanna do this morning. You could Pull that out. The second thing, and the thing I want to land on from Nehemiah chapter 3 is the absolute beautiful, extravagant picture that is painted when the children of God all work together. When they stop fighting with each other, when they stop letting their pettiness get in the way. And when they all pick up a hammer and get to work, not only can the impossible happen, but the outside world takes notice. In the next few chapters, we will see multiple times how the enemies of Jerusalem stopped and saw what was accomplished by everyone working together and they went, Wow, that's impressive! That's amazing. That's impossible. I do not think, church, that we need to give the outside world any more reasons to dislike us. I really don't. But one of the most beautiful ways to show the outside world who considers us enemies at this point, to show them the power of God is to work together. No one's saying they're above it. No one's refusing to work with that person because of who they are or where they've been. Everybody, from every walk of life, working together to complete one mission, one task. And folks, our task was given in some of the final words of Jesus on this earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's the project That's the wall that we, the church, have been called to build. So, if you are sitting in this room and you would say that you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not, that's awesome. You're welcome here. This is a safe place to ask questions, to hopefully be encouraged, to to grow. You're, You're welcome here. But if you are someone who claims the name of Jesus, then I want you to know that by your leader, not Nehemiah, not me, by your leader, Jesus, you have been called to get to work. And now there's so many facets. I get it, guy. I, I get it. Making disciples of all nations. Well, so am I supposed to be a missionary? Am I supposed to do this? Am I, do I have, what, 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 what am I supposed to do? Let me try and make it simple because Jesus did. Love your neighbor. Is that the whole mission? Uh Uh-uh. But it's the prescribed plan for how to complete the mission. Nehemiah said, build a wall. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? How do I love my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I'm glad you asked. Jesus told us that as well. Your neighbor is anyone you come into contact with. He defined that very clearly in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is anyone you come into contact with. So it's coworkers, it's the people that live next door to you who are your neighbors. It is people that you see on airplanes. It's you, your neighbor is anyone you come into contact with, and you are called to love them for the purpose of fulfilling the mission or the task given to us by Jesus. So how do you love everyone you come into contact with? You serve them. Jesus also told us that. You use your hands to serve them. Now, there's a, there's a quote that I read this week. That's, it's pretty intense. It's a little heavy, but I want you to read it. Let no man open their mouth to tell of Jesus unless their hands are calloused by service. I might say it this way. Don't claim the name of Jesus unless you're completely willing to use your hands for the sake of others. It's a little, you know, because I'm like, do I really have to have calluses? Like, is it? No. Unless you're willing to put others first, unless you're willing to help others, unless you were willing to serve, I really wouldn't be boasting a whole lot about Jesus. Jay Stokes, our executive pastor, says... No one will care what you know until they know how much you care. He says that all the time. I don't know if he came up with it or not, but he says it all the time, so it's stuck with me. I I can't tell you how true that and is. I'm just thinking literally about my neighbors, like the people around me. If I'm not willing to go help them when they need help, if I'm not willing to give financially resources, if I'm not willing to get dirty, then how am I ever going to have a platform to tell them about Jesus? So, as the band comes back up here today, I, I just want to call all of you to work, to the work of making disciples of all nations. And before you lose your mind going, I don't know what that looks like, I don't know how to do that, then just remember the simple message. Serve your neighbor. Serve those that you come into contact with. And today... As we respond, just like we always do, we'll have pastors and prayer team up here that would love to pray with you, love to pray over you, love to pray for you. They'll be here. We have communion in the back of the room to remember who Jesus is and the sacrifice that he made. You, You can do that. But this is definitely one of those messages that I think you're gonna need more than 15 minutes to process through and to respond to. So really, I just want to put out the challenge of getting to work, taking on the task that Jesus has laid before us. I want to put out that challenge, and I want to call you then to respond to that challenge in whatever way. Doing nothing is a response. That is a response. But I would hope that today, because we desire to honor God and to glorify him and to love our neighbor I would hope that that response is something do something I I pray that that would be your response because when we all work together the impossible becomes possible and the job gets done and this is a big job but we accomplish it when we all just do our part the so church, do your part. Get to work. Father, help us today as we respond to you to remember your extravagant love for us and in response to that, us desiring to love and to serve others, to be your hands and feet, to accomplish your mission and your task. Come and meet us where we're at today. I pray you cause us to move and to respond. I ask, Jesus, that you would impress on people's hearts the need to, to pray, to cry out to you, that they would do so in a way that would unlock your power and bring you glory. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for this group of people and for the potential kingdom impact that we could have. We give you all the glory. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond to him.